podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's. And there's going to be three of us this week. And that doesn't mean, doesn't include Google Assistant or Alexa or Siri, because I've unplugged them. I've had enough of their appearances the last couple of weeks. It's me, Jim Boardman. It's Jay Reed and it's Tony Evans. And, well, we've got plenty to, to talk about. Loads and loads of serious stuff. Uh, no, just a bit of serious stuff, I think. Because let's, um, we've, we're always going to get onto Everton at some point, aren't we? But, Jay, how are you? Have you um, have you recovered from last weekend? Are you all set for this weekend? Oh, yeah, I had to think for a split second <laughs> about what last weekend was, you know. Um, yeah, it blanks out. Yeah, it's, it's, in a way, the fact that we're having one game a week, it's, it kind of, you can get over the fact that we're not playing very well because it might ruin your day or your evening or whatever in the case of last Saturday. But then the fact that they're not playing through the week, you can kind of just drift through the week. And obviously January is a slog anyway, isn't it, as we all know. But yeah. it doesn't seem to upset you anymore because there's no there's no game to let you down. Um, but yeah, quite quiet week. Back to work proper this week. Um, so, yeah, as they say, it's a back in the routine and sometimes you just wish, well, can we just have Christmas back again? But then... You know, if we had Christmas back, we might get the decent results, and we can't have everything, can we? Yeah, that's the trouble, isn't it? Well, we'll have bank holidays again soon, won't we? In May, maybe an wow. extra one for that thing going on with the palace, the thing, whatever that is. You know, the one one good use of the royal family, I think, is we can get extra bank holidays out of them. Tony, um, yeah, it's been ages since we played a game. It's actually almost a week as we record this. But um, did you have a chance to have a laugh at the Carabao in midweek and stuff like that as well? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that um, there's some really interesting results during the week, and I thought like uh, the, the, the funniest one, of course, was uh, was Fulham beating Chelsea, and Chelsea's oh, gotcha. you know hot new loan sign and getting sent off, which was hysterical, you know. But it just shows that there's. Um, you know the, the the top four is definitely not out of you know sort of uh, is not out of reach because teams that you'd expect to be in there like Chelsea, like you know um, United, are not very good, and of course Newcastle are in there. I don't think Tottenham are very good. They just need to get their act together. And and, and you know as bad as Wolves was and as bad as some of the games have been, and as bad as the midfield is, because let's be honest, we can't say it's good. Uh, you know, if they score the goals, they, they're getting the chance. If they score the goals, they'll be all right. God, yeah, we are creating chances, aren't we? And that's the thing, isn't it? We when when you're fighting for the top of the table, and certainly in our case, the last few seasons we've been doing that is you're up against someone who's like not not slipping up at all. So you make a slight slip up, maybe they make a slight slip up, but there's just room for error at all and I don't want Liverpool to hear this now but there is a bit of room for error when you're going for the top four because everyone else is messing up as well so yeah it's not out of reach the top four but my god we've got to start doing something um, something about it and that um, before we came on we were just talking that 
um, Jurgen Klopp's done his press conference. So he's actually not, he's actually done it in time for us. Normally he's doing it while we're recording this, but, um, doesn't sound good, really. Um, what was your, what was, what was your biggest takeaway from it, Jay? I think I already know. That's the obvious, isn't it? <laughs> um, I couldn't lean a Twitter spot with some money here as well. Um, <laughs> over, you know, the lack of signings or the, the, or the lines being put out. I think it's Neil Jones, right? And then Paul Go, uh, Paul Joyce has uh, re put it out there himself. I think it's something. I'm um, with the word for word, but along the lines of we can't make any signings with pretty skins. Um, I don't think we are. I think there's, as we could delve into, there's a lot more behind the scenes going on, and I think we all we all know this season has gone to plan, and we don't fall off a cliff from where we were last season. And I heard something the other day. I think it was Dave on the Scouser pod said that last season we were 23 points ahead of Arsenal at the end of the year, and they're currently 16 ahead of us. Mm. Arsenal have improved and we've declined, but no way is there a 39 point swing between those two clubs in six months' time. So something is severely wrong with us. And okay, they're getting things right, but it kind of points more the finger at, at where we're not doing the right things. Um, and, you know, we, we all wanted um, improvements in the centre of the field in January because it was a, it's a glaring, obvious need. And we've got one in who isn't a midfielder. And by the sounds of it, we might not be getting another one. So it doesn't bode well. And I think, you know, maybe we're gambling with Champions League football. And if you gamble with Champions League football, you've only got to look down the road at Man United and, you know, sponsorship start pulling out, the money starts going slightly astray. And then you might start panicking and bringing in players who aren't actually what you need. And the way we're operated at the moment, that's not something we can afford to do. No, and well, I think what Klopp said, I mean, I'll just put it, what he said, he's had 6,000 press conferences at Liverpool. Maybe not quite that many. I have to tell you, again, the money story. Why could it be the reason we have money like crazy and we still don't buy, buy players? You know the answer. It's not that we have so much money, we don't know what to do with it, but we think, oh, we don't need anyone. It's just not that easy. We can't sort the problems with injuries um, in this window. Um, are you buying that, Tony? Do you think there's more more to it? Is it truthful? Is it is it is it straight? Is there is there a cover story? Is there a conspiracy theory anywhere in it? Well, I mean, there's two interpretations of it. One, he's putting pressure on Fenway mm. to spend. And and you know what? My view of this is that if they think they're going to miss out on the top four, it affects any price they're going to get when they sell the club. Yeah. So they don't want that to happen. So if if they're not putting up the money, then, I, 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 you know, it's stupid business. And from my dealings with John Henry, he's not a stupid man. You know, sometimes it takes a while to penetrate his brain. <laughs> for him to get yeah. the points, but he's not stupid, and he won't want to lose money. And the other thing, the other the other possibility is that people are asking too much for players that Liverpool are in for, and Klopp's trying to like it, it play down the desperation, which never works, to be honest. Mm. Um, but he, he, he's he's very edgy. He's very unhappy at the moment, Klopp. You know, you can see he's not he's not his happy self. Well, he wouldn't be because they're not doing as well as they they, they might be. Um, I think the, the the truth is somewhere in between. I think if they find the right player, Fenway will pony up the money. Yeah, I think that's the thing as well. When you come into selling a club, I mean, I'm not. Don't worry, I'm definitely not a massive businessman or anything like that. But if you spend, you know, sixty million pound on a player, then that that player then has a value on your club's books. That player's registration. So in a way, if you're buying more assets and the decent assets, then when you come to sell the club in that respect, you sort of 
you're sort of going to get that money back anyway, in a way, when you sell it, because it's part of the valuation. And as you say, you're ruining the valuation if you sort of drop down and you're playing in that Europa conference thing, whatever it's called these days. You know, if you're really dropping down somewhere like that, it just it just devalues the club massively because it takes us off the stage. And I suppose the reason Liverpool are going to be valuable to someone with billions of pounds is because of that image, that image of the club and being the, one of the best clubs in the world, a prestigious club, a prestigious name. And it's just not the same on a Thursday night. Yeah, you've got to be in there at least, and you know it's um, if 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 you're expecting people to spend, and, and football clubs are vanity purchases. You know they're not. Mm. Uh, you, you don't buy football clubs to invest and make money. At least not yet. I haven't said that. Fenway, you picked up Liverpool for two hundred eighteen million. They're going to sell it for what, upwards of two billion. Mm-hmm. So you know it's. Um, but generally in this environment, you're not going to like make money in that sense. So there's an element of. You know, you, you you need for it to be a sort of flagship business in the sense of a performing well in its own area. And when you're outside the Champions League, well, you're outside the elite. So they won't want that to happen. And and if they if they are sitting back and letting things slide and allowing this to happen, then you know, it, it's certainly Henry's not the fella I met and had a relatively sort of um, a relatively good relationship for for quite a while. He's a very, very sharp businessman. But as I say, it takes a while to get through to him the gravity of certain situations. But I'm sure where money's involved, it doesn't take much time. Yeah, and the thing is, I think um, we sort of look at him as... as- He's not micromanaging the club, is he? It's more a case of he's going to be getting information back from what's happening on the ground. And um, I think I've, I think I've had this thing that when Liverpool have been doing well, I've always thought one of the reasons for that is that all the way through the club, they've been trying to find the best people for the job in every single sort of part of the business. And I'm calling it a business as well as on the the sports side of things, if you like, you know, trying to make sure you've got the best coaches at the academy and obviously the best manager you can get and all the rest of it and all the right people as well. And one thing, one, one criticism, I don't know if either of you two have heard this one criticism I've had in the past about the club is they got a lot of people in who were really good at a particular job, but were not sort of Liverpool FC minded, which may not be a bad thing because then you're not kind of think, Oh, we'll always, we've always done this, this way. There's no other possible way to do things, but maybe sometimes, I don't know. Is there enough passion? Um, have you had any feelings on that, Jay? Have you heard anything along those lines? Not so much on the on the sporting side, but on the sort of business and so on side, the Chapel Street side of things. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Um, I think Tony might be more in <laughs> in tune as, as the information, but you know we, we did go through a spell where we were hiring um, like neuroscientists and physicists, and they were doing um, a lot of off-field work and like the medical department and you know the the food and stuff like that. Where 
I think it was like 2018, 19. We were probably touted as the forefront of European football. We were the the best run club, uh, and we were the model club um, as it was as it was put. And you know, for that all sort of to fall apart or fall down a little bit as we are now, and there's been high profile departures. Obviously, Michael Edwards is the the name on everyone's lips, and then his replacement Julian Ward has gone within six, eight months of being officially in that post. And then is it Ian Graham and somebody else, I can't figure the name off the top of my head, has, has also um, vacated the positions in the last six to 12 months. And that's a concern because we haven't actually found out, well, have they fully been replaced? If not, I don't know, someone might be able to, to clarify that for me. But it, it is a bit suspicious how, you know, the people who were doing the day-to-day running of the club on the off-field side of it, it all seemed a little bit in turmoil and you know if if you use the analogy of like a car if your engine's not running properly that's not, that's what you can't see but the output of the car then isn't going to run as smooth on the road and that's obviously reflecting in what we are on the pitch like we're not re- very smooth on the pitch because you know under the bonnet isn't exactly working spot on either so i, I don't know but it, it it's it is a cause of concern that we've got a lot of speculation about things off the field and you know as fans really we, we just want to see success on the field we obviously want to see success off the field financially and doing well and stuff like that but what we pay our hard day and cash for to go to the ground every week is is to see Liverpool win and, and that's not what we're getting this season and as I say it, it's concerning but um, Tony might have a little bit more insight into the specifics and the what's going on there in, in sort of the business side of things. Do you think that is Ben Tony? Do you think, do you, from what you've heard, is there anything going on there that, um, I mean, you, 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 everyone's worked somewhere where there starts to be sort of bits of low morale going around. People start leaving, rumours spread. You mean, I mean, Liverpool, we always say, is like a village the way rumours spread, but I can imagine Chapel Street's like that. Have you got any sort of inkling that, that there are problems at, at that side of things with the club? Are the people fed up or, or what's going on? I think there's always been one of the problems, always, during Fenway's ownership, is that they were in Boston and they never got the they they, they never got a level of sort of executives in Liverpool who were actually, you know, running the place in a manner that basically they never set up like City. City have got like cities. Whether you think about Manchester City, City's um, framework is superb. You know, they've got top-class people in loads of positions and and the club runs very, very smoothly, you know, in comparison with other football clubs. Liverpool never quite got that. And in part, it's a semi-detached, you know, sort of uh, mindset of the ownership, you know, is that. I mean, I I think, you know, the, 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 the... are clearly problems on the footballing side at the moment because so many people are leaving. And one of the, the things, you know, uh, Edwards, um, Mike Gordon and Klopp were a very tight unit, you know, in terms of the recruitments. And, you know, and obviously Edwards has gone. Uh, Mike Gordon's going to try to drum up, you know, uh, buyers for the sale, which, I mean, we're not seeing a queue, are we? It's no. it's one of those things, and then you know other people are leaving, and as the the perhaps the analytics 
isn't being treated quite as seriously as it once was. Uh, however, you know, the, there's also a lot of luck goes into this. You know, people like, uh, you know, the, the builder statues of Mike Edwards people, they forget that before Klopp arrived, you know, Emery Shan and Markovitz were going to change the nature of the club. <laughs> you know, they were not only going to replace Suarez, they were going to like, you know, th- this was the landscape of the Premier League's going to change. Uh, not quite. And, you know, so it's Klopp brought a football eye to a recruitment department which has a lot of you know it was to say it was hit misses to give them the best of it and they've had more hits than misses since Klopp arrived and I think that 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 tells you something but but yeah at the moment I mean you've got a club up for sale you've got a lot of people leaving there's so much uncertainty going around it makes people nervous and Football clubs are not good places when people are nervous and um, and people are scared. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's like um, confidence is such a big thing in football. I mean, you see a striker that's losing his confidence, and you'll see him not score for game after game after game, and no doubt that that does spread through through the club. And I think something that's um, something else that keeps coming up though as well is like one of the reasons Liverpool need to kind of well, the reason Klopp's been asked these questions is because we don't have enough players to put out on the pitch for, for two games a week that are of decent quality throughout the pitch, front and back. And part of the reason for that isn't isn't so much about the quality in the squad, it's about the quality of the fitness, if you like, of those players. And um, and we've spoken about it before, Jay. Is, you know, is, is, is it time maybe that we don't just look at investing in players and thinking about spending 60 to £100 million on a player, but... Is there more investment we can do to make sure we've got the right people? You know, have we got the right people, medical staff and so on? Are we, you know, are we falling victim to the way we play and not dealing with that correctly? Are we, is it because we get one injury, we have to use a player too much? Um, you know, is, is it, is it time to change the medical staff or is that sort of just one of these many red herrings? Uh, again, it just sounds like we're being the same thing. It's all speculation, what we're, mm-hmm. what we're sort of rumouring. Um, but the medical guy we had is now at Man United. Um, he left in the summer and he's he's rocked up at United in the last few weeks. So that that to me is a bit of a suspicious thing that that, that needs questioning as to why he's gone there, and we we may never find out. Um, I'm not sure. Money club medical <laughs> club medical staff are going to go releasing books um, in years to come, but you know it. It, it was something that happened in pre-season according to the speculation around and, you know, he he left his post and then, you know, it was well touted that we were looking for a club doctor. Obviously, not one man or lady runs the whole operation. We do have a huge medical um, team looking after the squad and obviously the, the youngsters and the academy staff and stuff like that. But um, it is a bit weird how, like, well, we're picking up a lot of injuries Um a lot of injuries we get in training, which which I find odd. I I don't really recall. I think Jota picked this up on the pitch at the end of the Man City game, and that was probably just down to pure fatigue that we pushed him so far, and he, he was mm. probably just in the red zone, as they say. Um, but you quite often hear like niggles that we've picked up in in training. I mean, the latest one I don't know if it's confirmed or not. Like is Darwin Nunes this week? If if he could be out, it was you know a question mark over his fitness and. We we just always seem to pick up these things. Jordan Henderson with concussion the other week, and it's always one thing after another. We we would love to have, you know, a, a clean bill of health, but it always seems like we're we're down to the bare bones. And is that medical? So I'm not I'm, 
I'm not qualified to say enough whether it is or it isn't, but it certainly is a question that needs asking and it is a concern. If we continue to go on um, picking up these little niggly injuries, then then we aren't going to improve in the league because it's quite clear where we are so far this season. It's not enough. We do need a, a clean bill of health and we know if we get players like, for example, Naby Keita on the pitch in the last few games for me, he's came on. And he's he's changed it, like he's ignited something, he, he looks dangerous and I don't know what everyone else's opinion on that because it is. I like him as a player, it's unfortunate that he just cannot stay fit and, and be on the pitch every week. But when he is there and he gets a little run together, he, he can look threatening, he, he offers something that we don't seem to have in any of other midfielders. And, you know, it, it's annoying more than anything that him as, as, a, as an example, we can't rely on week in, week out. And if we could, then... I would imagine we wouldn't be in the position that we are. And that just goes throughout the team. Like Bobby Firmino was another one. We don't know what's going on with him. He seems to have disappeared. He'd he come back from uh, the Dubai trip and I think he played one game and then he's, he's, he's disappeared again. And no one actually seems to have any clear information on what well, was up with him. Well, Klopp has actually spoken about that today. He said um, with, with Bobby, it was first estimated 10 to 14 days out. Then he felt something again to prolong it. And at the moment, he's not close to team training on on Nunez he said uh, we're waiting for info not a major one but it kept him out of training so we'll wait for that and I mean I don't want you to sort of all get too excited now but Milner trained yesterday um, (laughs) and he's back in normal training today this sort of in a way though kind of goes down to luck again in some ways maybe Tony because like you were saying then you know you sign players and you know, you sometimes like in a queue for five people, like how many people want to see Cody Gappo? Seems like a great sign. We don't know for sure how, how he's going to turn out. But the idea that, um, you know, th- there's so many of the plays we've gone for other, other clubs would have loved as well if they'd had the right money or made the right offer or, you know, had the right attraction to bring them in, um, like Champions League football. So, you know, luck comes into it as well. And, Maybe, maybe that's what's going on with us at the moment. If we'd had more luck with injuries, we'd have more time for people to get, to get fit. They wouldn't be getting used as much and we'd get some rhythm. I mean, the thing about Cater, to me, is however good he is, the fact he's so in and out of the squad means there's never really any time to get used to him to, for his teammates to know what he can do and for him to get used to them. And, you know, that's what made us so good years and years and years ago in the eighties and stuff, isn't it? That we had that, that sort of rhythm and that sort of, we were like a machine. When we were winning things recently, we were like a machine. At the moment, there's bits of the machine kind of clanking away, aren't there, and falling apart? Yeah, well, I wrote about Keita in the column this week. And um, what was interesting is that, you know, obviously he came after the Champions League final in Kiev, didn't he? So, you know, it was like, mm. uh, you know, everyone was talking about the Bregs at midfield and, you know, and how, how poor they were. And two of the three were pretty damn good, you know, in the, yeah. as part of a three-man unit. But, you know, he was supposed to be the missing link. But within like a couple of weeks of um, um, arriving, I, I spoke to someone at the club and he said to me, seen his ass in training about the physicality. And yeah. I was like, oh, here we go. And, you know, and and he's never, you know, he, he's, he's been a really divisive character in many ways. You know, you say anything remotely negative about it, and you're racist. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's one of them. And like the, 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 the best thing, the, 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 the biggest quality a footballer can have is availability. 
Yeah. Because if you're not available, it doesn't matter what your level of skill is. You know, you look at Sturridge again, you know, who should have been, you know, again, it's, it's in the column of like, um, it won't be worth anyone reading the bloody thing because it would tell you everything, will it? No, um, no, don't tell but you. If, if, but, you know, Sturridge, if Sturridge would have been able to get onto the pitch more often, Harry Kane would be nowhere near breaking the England goal scoring records. Because yeah. Sturridge was the you know the the best English finisher of his time, and except he wasn't because he didn't get on the pitch enough, and so so case of like uh, you know uh, I'm I, I haven't got much hope of him uh, of him coming good you know we need him now more than ever he certainly would improve that midfield, but on the other hand there's another thing even when he did play there was an element there where Klopp never completely trusted him. Yeah, and you know it does take Klopp a while to to trust players. Andy Robertson's a great example. Yeah. You know, I mean, he spends his first what, five months at the club. Well, from from um, from when the season starts in August until December, uh, basically not playing. Yeah. Moreno was getting played in front of him, and you think to yourself, "Oh, this fellow's going to be a dud," and then all of a sudden, it's it, it's it, it all it's all come together, and and that was fine. So it takes Klopp a while, but he's never quite reached that. Andy Robinson go over the ump with Keita, you know, in part because of injury and in part because, well, he, you're not playing enough to be trusted, are you? So, yeah. so, that, so there's all that. But the other thing about, again, we, we've heard over the years about, and this isn't a criticism, but I just, I'm, I don't quite understand where we are. So I'm just putting my point of view on this. We've heard so much about how the analytics is able to monitor players' physicality and the performance and that, know when they need a rest, know when they don't need a rest and all that sort of stuff. Well, how does that pertain to injuries? Shouldn't that be helping us avoid injuries? And it isn't. And, you know, it's... um, So, so yeah, so there's there's loads of concerns. And one of the things I always feel, you know, and... um, you know, Rafa Benitez, his favourite uh, quote in all the world is, football is a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a... And what often, when clubs are successful, we sort of retrofit the history to suit the narrative of success. Yeah. A lot of the time, it's by accidents and by, you know, sort of fake conspiring. You know, it's... Um, and I think perhaps we've overblown certain elements of the way Liverpool was run during the successful periods to make them seem like acts of genius when it wasn't quite that and it's slim margins and now the margins are going the other way you know it's like oh well, what the hell's going on well you know clearly there are problems as we've already stated when when people are leaving in the numbers to leave in liverpool something's not right but part of that is the margins have, have just gone the other way you know yeah, and I think there's a, there's a thing at the minute. If you're in a in a job and you've got the chance to move somewhere else, a lot of people are going to do that anyway because the the mess the country's in with the cost of living and all the rest of it. Because I mean, that's that's something I've spoke about to so many people, not just football people, but you know, the, there's people who are happy in the job, but the money just isn't quite enough, and they're starting to worry about about you know, not not necessarily like being on the breadline as such, but losing some of the sort of luxuries that make make it worth a while to go to work. If you get what I mean, and you know. It sort of makes everything not as nice a place to be, and and so they're starting to look elsewhere to to other jobs to see where there is money. And if other clubs are offering more money, or other companies are offering more money for the same kind of work, then and maybe more more thanks as well for the kind of work as well. Then it's not surprising people are going to leave. There's lots lots of reasons behind it. I think um, another thing when we're talking about you know there's, there's a big link between um, 
the dodgy state of the country, the dodgy people running it, and um, the, the successions of years of dodgy governments running this country, which kind of re- re- takes me all the way back to 1989, when the government basically tried to... Definitely MPs were playing a part in covering up what happened at Hillsborough. And we spent so many years... Um, trying to get the truth out, trying to say what had really happened, that all the other things that were blamed for it, that were trying to use as sort of scapegoats, like having people sitting down at grounds was going to be the answer. If everyone had been sitting down, there wouldn't have been a problem, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, things just got left. I mean, and one of, one of the questions I always wondered is, you know, should, should Hillsborough... Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have ever been allowed to stage a football game again, and that's whether it should or shouldn't. The the answer really is not unless it was safe to do so. But just recently, there's been all these years later, all the stuff we now know, all the truth that's come out. Um, there's a story about Newcastle fans, um, it, you know, having problems there, like stewards telling them to go and sit where you want, and not really knowing where to go. And of course, it looks like that tunnel's still there as well, and. I don't know. Did you, well, Jay? Did you see that? Did you see the, um, the 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 coverage of it? The sort of backlash from Newcastle fans. I've seen the images and I've seen the um, the short report, uh, the interview that the Newcastle fan had given. I think it was on Sky Sports the other day about his his ordeal with his two young daughters. And luckily, there was you know the the knowledge of other fans around him to see that his his daughters were panicking and and managed to get them through safely. But I. I was only a, a small child, two years of age, when Hillsborough happened, but my dad was there and luckily he made it out alive. And, you know, if you're brought up as a Liverpool fan, you're educated on Hillsborough because it's just part of, you know, the history of the club and it's what, what we're taught. And, you know, seeing images in in this modern day and age of of pretty similar sorts of scenes, it's pretty harrowing that, like, we're having this conversation. Um, it shouldn't be happening. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be adverse to shutting Hillsborough down because if if it's still in this state and in what thirty three years on something like that, nearly thirty four years now um, since Hillsborough actually happened, then it shouldn't be operating as a football stadium. And it is a tragedy waiting to happen. And you know, I I was in the in the in the situation in Paris last year and. That that was, you know, very similar memories to, to those people who suffered the Hillsborough and they sort of had like PTSD and, and it brought a lot of memories back. There was people on our coach coming back from Paris and saying it was basically the same or worse in some situations. And I wouldn't wish that on any person. Um it it's it's clearly something that needs addressing. But what is more more bothering to me is 
Sheffield Wednesday fans and fans of other clubs seem to think it's okay. Like yeah. it, it, it's fine, and 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 that's what's wrong. Like they just think, oh well, you know, it's our ground, and we we'll do what we want, and and you just need to stop whinging about it, and we won't because we all know the truth, and we will always fight for the truth, and we will always fight for justice, and we will always fight for the right that the people who lost their lives lost them unlawfully, and it should never have happened on that day, and. It, it's something that, that rattles you as a Liverpool fan and it rattles you even more when other fan bases seem to defend it. And, you know, it, it's a fight that we'll, we'll never stop having because I think you'll always have that small, narrow-minded mindset of other people who just think that, oh, it's just them scouts having a whinge and a moan as we always do and, you know, get on with it and get a job and all that business that we that we have to deal with. It's, it's the same old tripe every week and... I should say it, it runs from the very top of the country. If if they're spouting tripe day in day out, which they often are, then you know it does filter down to the small-minded people who just want to absorb it and take it on board without actually realizing what the facts are. I think that's um, in, in my opinion. I think what's interesting what you've just said then, Jay, is that you were you were a baby basically when Hillsborough happened, but you know all about it because you, you've been told all about it, obviously. But I don't know if you found this, Tony, in in Sheffield. I I see people, younger people. And they've basically been told the lies. So, you know, they've no, whether they've got no no need, no, no no feeling that they need to go and find out the truth. But they've kind of, to me, it felt like a lot of the city of Sheffield defended the city of Sheffield and stuck up for the police and kind of believed all that narrative. And I'm not saying everyone's like that. There's some really, really good people in Sheffield, you know, some really good people in Sheffield. But there's a kind of almost like a, almost like a core of people who, believe the lies and won't be told any different oh yeah it's getting worse it's worse than it's ever been now and you know it's um and there's there's a whole my country or my city my club right or wrong point of view that people take up and you know what we're not exempt for that are we no. you know let's face it two words lewis suarez you know, so I'm, I'm like, you know, I, I'm not completely slaughtering, the, you know, these people. But like anyone who's a Sheffield Wednesday fan, who was defending a building where 97 people died. Not only that, but there have been repeated incidents over the years. Is is insane. And I, when it, when it comes to it, I, I mean, let's face it, we've all suffered Hillsborough denial and. Now, you know, I've had plenty of it from Newcastle fans, so, you know, yeah. perhaps this was an, an eye-opening thing. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. No. But, but you know, people, they, they learn how bad it is. A, a subway, a tunnel, should be nowhere near anywhere where crowds gather. Nowhere near, because it's dangerous. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, any, you know, even in the age of seats and even in the age of, you know, sort of all-ticket games, it really is dangerous to cram people into a narrow area where they can't escape. And you know what? The thing is, you know, I have no ill will towards Sheffield Wednesday fans. Well, obviously, apart from the dickheads who, who are Hillsborough deniers. <laughs> but I hope they stay in League One forever. In fact, I hope they get relegated to League Two because that end is not fit to have away fans in mass numbers. And you know what? Maybe they shouldn't have knocked it down in 1989. But what they should have done is they should have found a way of getting rid of that tunnel. You know, you, you can get rounds on either side to the seats. You know, you don't need to go down the tunnel. No one should ever walk down that tunnel to the pitch ever again. And, and while people are still doing that, we run a risk. 
it, it's dangerous. I think whenever I, I, I mean, I'd not, I won't say I go to Sheffield very often, but if I ever pass through you sometimes, um, you sort of end up going past Hillsborough and it just, it just gives you a, an absolute chill just to see, just to see it and, and in, you know, in, in, in the flesh almost what, what that place is and what happened there. That should, it just seems so bizarre to have it used now by people just taking the piss out of each other at football because that's, you know, and that is what football is. But again, it's not, it's not about it being a matter of life and death and football's more important and all that stuff. It's, it's far from it. What's, um, interesting is Sheffield, Wednesday, he put a statement out yesterday, I think, um, that they said that they'd had a request from the FA on Monday, the 9th of January, to submit ob- observations about what happened. So it took took the FA a couple of days maybe to to get, to ask them for observations. They finally got round to it yesterday. And they've said, um, you know, whilst it's inappropriate to outline in full the details of the submission at this time, which I get, you don't want to say everything, it then has like three or four paragraphs trying to defend itself. And in my view, it could even be that it actually was a genuine error. They really had done everything they possibly thought they needed to do. But it's this sort of denial from Sheffield fans. I'm getting uh, Sheffield Wednesday fans, and it's the idiots, the idiots that you get on Twitter, that are just sort of, you know, no other club would have had this. If it happened anywhere else, the press wouldn't have even picked it up. All this kind of stuff. Look... Whatever happened there that day, if it, it needs looking at, it needs to find out, was it dangerous? Could it have been avoided? Was it down to you not doing what you should have done? Or was it down to the, the, the rules that we all thought would be, would work are actually not good enough? My opinion is it's probably down to the rules that everyone thought would be good enough, weren't good enough, because the people who make these decisions haven't really thought it through. It might comply with safety certificates, but it's nice they've actually got one now. But it doesn't, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of say... Um, like I don't know how to put it. If if that was you, if, if some accident had happened in anything you were involved in, the first thing you'd be wanting to do is make sure it didn't happen again. Now you know you want people to feel happy. You don't want people to be stressed. If children are crying because they're worried, that's wrong. What this is football, and again it just gets forgotten. This is football. You go there to enjoy it, and I just I just don't understand. And the thing that also worries me then is. The people reading this sort of little mini sort of investigation of the FA, I don't know about you, Tony, but I don't think I can trust the FA to do this properly. No, no, they're absolutely too shambolic organisation, Sheffield Wednesday Football Club and the FA, and neither have taken responsibility for what happened, what, 34 years ago. And it, it's, you know, it, it, it's unbelievable. It's And you know what, what will come down to, is actually it'll come down to a failure of stewarding and, and a failure of policing because it always does. And, uh, and people think, oh, it's only football and football fans, you know, are kind of treated like, uh, you know, sort of semi-feral vermin. You mm. know, those, those, um, those old stereotypes from the, um, you know, from the, the, the 60s and 70s still exist, you know, um, and and you know the the downsides of it be, being called the people's game is that those in, from the who would who would see themselves as elevated above the people look down the noses at those who go to football. So even in even in the, even now when the middle classes are you know are, are frequent attendees, there's still that there's still that class consciousness. That that is applied to football fans, which you know, in in a negative manner. So no, I don't trust it. But you know, uh, and, and one of the things that people don't understand, and I say to fans of other clubs all the time, I say to them, it long Hillsborough long stopped being a barrows 
There's never going to be any resolution for us. There's never going to be any justice for us. We we, we do have the unlawful killings verdict, and that's the best we're ever going to get. Mm. No one's ever going to take responsibility. And why we fight on is not for us. It's for the future. It's for you. It's because at the Manchester bombing, Manchester Arena bombing, two people died, at least two people, from the same systemic problems that, that kill people at Hillsborough. And you're like, I don't want to see anyone die from things that can easily be addressed and can easily be sorted. And they're just being avoided because people in power, people who are earning money, people who are earning honours, don't want to take responsibility. And you know what? If you want to back them up, you're on the other side from me. And I, I despise you. And I say that to other fans. I think the other thing as well, that when you talk about the class situation and you bring up the the um, the Manchester Arena, the MEN, as it, I think it was called at the time, it's, um, in my view, because, because the truth about Hillsborough was covered up so much, things that could have been done in all kinds of different situations to improve safety weren't done because there was this sort of narrative about the drunken fans and all that other shit that came out. But then, I mean, another incident recently, the O2 Academy in Brixton, um, what happened there, the um, people dying because of the crush outside. And I wonder, to me, there's not enough sort of feeling from anyone that something needs to be done about that. There's no sort of anyone from the authorities coming along and, and speaking gravely about what happened. Yet, if that had been the last night of the proms, I'm sure there'd have been a different response. Well, had, it was black you know, people, wasn't it? it was well, black exactly, people. yeah. You, yeah. Know, they're like, you know, they're like that, aren't they? You know, they do these things. You know, no wonder. Blame yeah. the victims. They blamed us. We're easy to blame because we've been demonised by all those years of Thatcherism. And even further back, we've been demonised by the development of the city since the famine and by the Irish influence. We've been demonised. We were outsiders. We weren't like them. We were, oh, you know, you don't want to touch them. You don't want to speak to them. They're, you know, they're, they're, oh, they're lesser human beings. Oh, and, you know, in Brixton, oh, oh, yeah. Well, you're expected of those people, don't you? Well, you know what? One day it'll turn up on your doorstep. It'll happen to your loved ones, it'll happen to people that you regard as decent, ordinary people, you know, who you respect. And I'll tell you what, then you'll realise that you'll be on the end of the demonising. Yeah, it's it's that's the thing. I think that's what it is with people. You don't think it can happen to them. I mean when, when Hillsborough happened I was I was still a kid pretty much. Um and I think it was the first time in my life, I'd realised I'd I'd seen so many disasters growing up, and people joke about disasters. That's how it used to be, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking, "Oh my God!" You know that 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 how could I joke about all those disasters that have happened? And um, you know, you, you're a child when you, I was a child when I was joking about these things, and I'm ashamed that I joked about them. And if I could go back in time, I'd give myself a good slap around the head over it. But um, it's just this: so many people just lack empathy and just uh, just don't. I'm all right. I'm all right. It never happened to me. Well, yeah, it just happens to everyone at some point or other. That's that's the that's the sad thing that people have to face up to. Um, Can I just jump in a minute? Yes, of course. On just something that Tony said there when he said like you know it, it when it happens to other people who then point the finger, it all then becomes a bit of a, a story. Well, look at the you know the the situation with Chelsea and you know with the the common chance. We all know what it is whether you want to say it or whether you don't want to say it, it's deemed obviously in a homophobic manner. And Liverpool were vindicated at the start of the season when we were uh, to play Chelsea. I think it was last year, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like we were we were called out and our name was dragged through the mud, as it always is. We're, we're used to it. But 
there's been recent instances where Chelsea have played other teams. I think Nottingham Forest might have been one. Um, and I think maybe Leeds or that. I could be wrong on that exactly. But, you know, these reports are making national news, Sky Sports news. Like, you know, clubs are being charged with, for not controlling the fan bases and, you know, looking into alleged racist and uh, homophobic chants. And, well, you know, the harmful to people, we understand that. And, you know, people get upset and offended by it. But what about all the stuff that comes towards us, the, the, you know, the mocking of the dead every single week? No matter what the team is, there's probably a small handful of clubs who come to Liverpool and Anfield and don't sing about Hillsborough. And there's a very, very small minority. But they all do and they all think it's funny. And it's just accepted that it's like, OK, well, it's fine because, you know, well, they're dead and what are they going to do? That's that's the sort of impression that I, fe- I feel. And it's not OK. And, you know, we, we'll always continue to, to call this out. But as you say, like, you know, Chelsea, you know, the, the Royals Club in London, you know, the... You know the the King's Road and all that business and all the all the toffs who live down there. Now it's it's them. They don't like it, and now they get the friends in the media and and you know the politicians to sort of do something about it. And it, it just smacks of like hypocrisy, really. Well, there's plenty of that, isn't there, in in the game and in the media and in, and in the world. Sadly, I think the good thing is though we we all do. I mean, no matter how much we get of that, I think Liverpool is a city. Liverpool FC's fan base, you know. It's strong and it stands up for itself and it'll keep standing up for itself. It always has done, always will. It's always had to and it probably always will have to as well, sadly, but it will, it will always happen. And that, that also though, at the same time, let's, let's, let's change the mood slightly now. I mean, it's, it's good that the, the fact that we had such solidarity from Everton fans tells you, I know there's been a little bit of sort of going away from that recently with a few mi- minority of them, but the, the fact we had so much solidarity over Hillsborough from Everton fans tells you everything about this city as well, that, you know, football's football, set it to one side. But, I mean, football in the city, Everton, um, every week I know there's something to laugh at. So, I mean, what's going on with them now? They seem to have, they've been taking banners to games now as well. Um, Bedsheets. Bedsheets. Bedsheets, yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, what, you know, these... Um, and they all don't seem to be sure who who needs sacking. They're looking for a scapegoat and they can't work out whether it's Frank who hates Klopp. You know, he shouted at Klopp or whether it's somewhere higher up. Um, how's your Everton mate at work taking it? Uh, <laughs> um, he, he's on the edge. He, I haven't I haven't seen him since uh, a few days ago. Um, and he, he took his poor lads away United, didn't he, last weekend? Oh, I was telling you the both. And I told him it was child abuse and he still went ahead and done it. Um <laughs> But it it is as you say it's it's who to blame like you know Frank's uh, tokens with them are starting to dwindle out very quickly but it's still not Frank's fault it's it's everyone else's fault but Frank because as you say like, he he gets them um, and he shouts at the cloth but it it kind of it, it gives you that little bit of a, a smile when you think like no matter how bad we are they're always worse and you know we repeated it last week but. They are a bit of a mess, and and it's concerning. And I think the the other day when I was speaking to one of them, they were saying, um, you know, this weekend's game, Southampton's a six pointer. We'll we'll turn them over. They haven't won, and then all of a sudden they turn City over, and you're like, oh, actually, uh, we've got something to think about there. <laughs> um, and you said, like, well, what happens if your new stadium, you know, when it's built, which as I've said before, it does look impressive um, from a distance. What happens if you're opening games like Rotherham at home or Preston or something like that? How are you going to feel about that? And he's like, don't, we don't even want to think about these things. But the reality is it's, it's probably going to happen. Um, so they're in a whole heap of mess. And 
if we think we're sort of in a bit of a situation with transfers and stuff, they're in a lot worse. They don't seem to have any money to spend and they don't seem to have any players to sell because the ones they've got, they've paid a lot of money for, they give a lot of wages to. And no one, therefore, then wants them off the books. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're in a bad situation, but they're in a, a really sticky one as well. It's like when Robbie Fowler was... Um, this is the only way they're going to get rid of any players. It's like when Robbie Fowler was playing for us and City were paying half his wages for a while. That was, that was always a good laugh as well, you know, that's what city that's how city get by but um tony you were talking recently though about about worries that you knew about to do with everton that they they just they just can't to me they just can't face up to it as a club they just they just look at us and kind of try to blame things on liverpool and and stuff and you know they sort of i don't know they just don't seem to ever able ever are ever able to take responsibility for their own situation to do something about it and I don't know. I think that plays into the hands of the owners, the way the fans are as well. A lot that they sort of they're, they're happier to fight amongst themselves and, and find a scapegoat than actually f- try and look at it and think about what he's doing. They waste too much energy hating us. That's for sure. <laughs> it's um, you know, and now they're beginning to protest and copy behaviour. You know, yes. it's, um, you know, so they they always look down on that. Uh, I, I I feel for them. You know, I know this goes against the grain for me, but I feel for them. This club has been badly run for a long time mm-hmm. since Kem Wright took over. It's been, it's been. How shall I put it? How shall I put it in a way that um, would be deemed acceptable, uh, uh, acceptable um, by our friends in the legal business? <laughs> uh, there have been people outside the owners who have had too much influence on the club right from back in the late 90s when Ken Wright got involved. And so, for example, I would say that um, at the moment, Mashiri obviously is the owner, but his relationship with Usmanov, obviously an oligarch and is under sanction because of uh, you know, sort of the, the war in Ukraine, uh, his, his relationship, he, he relied an awful lot on the patronage of um, Usmanov, for example, you know, the, the sponsorship in the stadium and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the various sponsorships with Everton. And when they were taken away, it's put them in a financial situation which they really they don't want to be in. And they've spent an awful lot of money over the past, um, well, well, since 2016. And, and certainly more money than is warranted by the position they're in. And I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned that if they do go down, then, you know, where do they, where do they go after that? I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I think the clubs, you know, unless they can find a buyer or unless there's an injection of money from elsewhere, uh, then it, they're going to be very, very vulnerable because the money's not in place yet to finish the stadium, is it? I mean, I saw it last week when I was done, um, and you know, so it's driving down, you know, so it's Everton Valley, and you, you can see, you know, what then you know, it'll be great, it'll be an iconic waterfront stadium when it's built, but only if it's only one if it's built, and two yeah. if it's got a, a, a high class team in it. And at, at the moment, I mean, it's clearly not Lampard's fault, he's not a very good manager, let's let's you know, be honest about it, but it's not his fault, likewise, it wasn't Rafa's fault. And you know you can go back. You can name all the managers who've been there. To, you know since since Moyes left, and really it's none of their faults. It's you know, I, I mean people come in and didn't improve things, but 
you know, it's it's there the, are the, 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 the systemic problems in that club that won't be addressed until they get, I think, a change of ownership. And as you can see, Liverpool, one of the most successful clubs in the world that made the Champions League final last year, that have got titles and Champions League wins on the resume in the past five years. There's no queue to buy them. So yeah. who's going to be buying Everton? That's it, and I think as well. I mean, what I mean, I, I, I'm like you. I mean, we were last season talking about how we felt if Everton went down, and I think we both agreed in the end it just wouldn't feel right to not have the derby twice, at least twice a season, and um, yeah. and also you feel sorry for your mates who are good, at, you know, good people that are also Everton fans and stuff. You know, it's not, it is only a rivalry. You don't want them to go down, but you do worry about what's going to happen to them. But then it kind of puts it back into perspective what we're going through. We're sitting here at the start of this show talking about money not being spent on players that, you know, we want another 50 million for a midfielder here and another 90 million for another midfielder there or whatever. Yet, not that long ago, Liverpool nearly went into receivership. It nearly went under. I don't think it ever would have probably gone under, if, but it was such a dangerous oh. knife's edge situation, knife's edge situation that we were in that um, where we are now, the stuff we're crying about now in a way, is so much less. It's definitely first world problems compared to what we've used to ha- used to have. Um, so you know, it, it's good. It's good that we're. It's good that we've sort of again back to what Jay said. It's good that we've always got Everton to kind of remind us how lucky we are. Um, and it's even better, I suppose, now that we've not got at least not got the red side of Manchester looking laughing at us from down the East Lanks as well. Um, and again, I think as well, you know. You talk about about City. Sort of, we just mentioned then paying Robbie Fowler's wages. They just they just find money. I think someone posted today. Is it the fourth anniversary of of the investigation being launched into City's finances, and we still haven't heard from it? Um, are we ever going to hear from it? You know, is it is it being um, quietly glossed over? It's fo- football's what it is. But you know, we haven't done much today. Is talk about actual football and. Um, I don't think we want to talk about the world's going too much. We've got them again next week, but Jay. Brighton, I'm I'm worried. Are you? I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yes, <laughs> in a word. Um, they frighten me in terms of like, well, look, we've just been talking about everything, but look what they did to them. I think it was 10 days ago, something like that. Um, They tore them a new one in their own backyard, so much so that they were getting off for 54 minutes or something like that. Um, But it just, it just smacks of like, to me, very much like the Brentford game, like 
there's there's clearly a way to play against Liverpool at the moment. We are so so open, it seems, down the middle of the pitch, um, very slow, and it's it's something that plays right into Brighton's hands. They've got young, energetic, large midfielders, uh, runners into the box, and I, I wouldn't even want to say this, but if we took a draw, I wouldn't be too disappointed, and and that's that's a, a damning statement of how far we sort of have crumbled this season. Yeah, that's it. A year ago, we'd be disappointed with a draw. Now, it almost feels like that'd be a result for us. It shouldn't be, but that's how it feels. But then the other the other side to this was everyone um, assumed that Graham Potter was the, the the reason for Brighton's success, and I'm not saying he I'm not saying he had no part in in the success, but um, looking at what's going on at Chelsea now and looking at how Brighton is still being good. Maybe there's other people behind the scenes. Um, and Tony, that kind of goes back to what we're saying before about, you know, it's not just like Klopp isn't the reason Liverpool, all by himself isn't the reason Liverpool won leagues, won the league again and won the Champions League again. Um, Frank Lampard isn't the reason Everton are struggling, not all on his own. And, you know, another another example there in Brighton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you you look at the clubs that are, are well run and, and clearly well run. You know, Brighton, Brentford. You know, the the um, you know, you you can see what they're doing. They've got a clear vision of what they're trying to do. They they know what the budgets are, and you know, they they, they keep within them, and they, they they work within the means. And and you see it. It can be done. It can be successful if you get the right people. And you know, so we. I think. I mean, I, you know, only what what seven or eight months ago, ten months ago, people are looking at Liverpool going, "What a well-run club!" You know, they, they're in contention for all four trophies. So, you know, things things are often not quite what we seem, and um, and can change really fast. You know, it's a, yeah. but you do look at these smaller clubs who manage to keep the well punch above the weight and you've you've got to give them credit and you know again a lot of that is 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 a bit of luck you know brighton have shopped in the market they're in for a long while and you know you looked at last year the year before they couldn't score any goals Mm. then all of a sudden boom it starts working for them and they sign you know McAllister, who's you know (laughs) who goes on to be a world cup winner and you know, I mean, part of that's a, a little bit of luck, which you always get. But if you if you keep doing the right thing long enough, then you deserve a little bit of luck. You know, it's um, and and you know, you, you look in the last what sort of decades in in the early part of two thousand tens, what Southampton did, and you know, they 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 had. I mean, I I saw that I knew the um, mansion director at the time, Nicola Cortese. Oh, yeah. I, I saw I saw how good he was. He you know, he, he very, very effective and he had a very clear vision of what he wanted for the club and and the leadership is important. And again, I think if you're gonna criticize Fenway and lots of people, the Fenway out people and all that, criticize them for issues which really are not you know, they can't solve. But well would say is what Fenway have always lacked is a appointing a chief executive, a leader in Liverpool who could make decisions and who had a very very clear vision of what what he what he or she wanted. Instead, it's kind of been 
as, you know, I used the phrase before, semi-detached. Mm. You know, it's been semi-detached from Boston. Generally, I found when John Henry got involved, problems got sorted very, very quickly. Yeah. But there's, there's a kind of always been a disconnect between Boston and Liverpool, which hasn't hasn't helped the club. And having a great leader in, for a manager covered over a lot of the problems. You know, you could trust Klopp to get on with it. And, you know, and, and obviously his relationship with Mike, Michael Gordon, Mike Gordon was, you know, was a real positive thing. But, uh, I mean, the, the it's clubs that have strong leadership on the grounds that generally are the most successful. Yeah, yeah. That's it. It's, it's, it's having it. It's just having it throughout. It's just, um, you can't be in Boston and manage a club in Liverpool. It, you know, and, and direct a club in Liverpool properly. You know, you, if you're that far away, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna come and live here, which is understandable, I don't expect you to to leave your home and come and live here. But I do expect you to, um, you know, make sure it's in good hands while you're not able to come and sort of watch it day to day. And yeah, you're right. That's that's a job that they need to advertise for. But um, well, that gets us on nicely because there's a job that the club are advertising for. One one that I didn't think I'd ever see. Um, well, Mighty Red's mascot executive, Tony, you spotted this. Yeah, I saw it and I thought, you know what, I'd apply for it, Tony. I don't want to be Tony Barrett's assistant. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, uh, for those who don't know, uh, me and Tony worked together at the Times. So it's, uh, you know, it's 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 a mild GI, but, uh, but no, it's, uh, yeah, an executive. So not only are you Mighty Red's minder, but on occasion, you're going to have to be Mighty Red. And you're going to have to, you know, do all this to the social media blog as Mighty Red. And, and that's an executive role. I see it's an executive role. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, um, so I, I just my, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, we, we always talk about the executive strata in football and appointing the right executives is crucial to get your club running well. Well, Mighty Red's executive, that's it, 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 you know. Well, you know, yeah, forget the top four. We're going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Arsenal don't know how to look after their mascot. You know, after all that went on with um, Gunnosaurus, but now look at Liverpool uh, appointing mascot executive. Actually, Tony Barrett was there the day. Um, a few of us got invited to the club, and we got told, you know, bring bring the kids, that kind of thing. Um, you know, you'll you'll be glad you came. It was one Sunday, I think, and we went went into. Um, what was it called? The the um the little burger joint thing that's inside the club. I forget what it's called now. The little um in mm. the cop. So we went in there, sort of just stood around, all trying to guess what it is. And a few of us like joked, oh maybe it's a mascot or something. And and Tony Barrett's face, because clearly you know what Tony's like. He'd already found out what it was. And, um, yes, lo and behold, Mighty Red was unveiled to a very very underwhelmed audience. And. Um, <laughs> I mean, fair play to it. I mean, it's a it's a good idea in some ways. You know, the community side's good, but my God, um, does he does he really need an executive? Um, Jay, have you um, any strong feelings on Mighty Red? Are you glad that club's backing him like this? Um, <laughs> I, I, things aren't great in my job at the moment, but I, I don't think I'll be playing for that job. Uh, unfortunately, I might not even have the credentials for it. Um, I don't know how me, you know, me, me waving hand is as I'm walking around the side of the pitch, or um, whether I've got the physique to pull off the mighty red alpha. Uh, so, it, as you say, it, it's probably one more for the community. But yeah, the, 
the fact that it's labelled as an executive sort of position um, smacks of a bit of iron. Uh, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got a bit of a cough. So it's, it's just, it's you a bit of an do. odd thing. And, and then given, you know, you'll probably get all the idiots replying, well, can we not apply for, uh, advertise for the midfielder? Um, I, I'm sure that's probably down on the post and somewhere in the uh, Twitter shenanigans. You know what? There's actually there is a parallel between Mighty, this job description for Mighty Red's assistant or wherever he is, and or she, obviously, and players because it says they when performing as the character, you'll be constantly in costume, required to move about in costume, um, to entertain fans whilst working in excessive heat or cold under demanding physical conditions. I mean, I wonder if this is like is on is this actually a under the under the radar way of getting a new midfielder? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, <laughs> We'll find out. We'll find out, won't we? Um, I think that really we can't we can't beat Mighty Red and having an assistant. I think we're going to have to wrap it up there. But any yeah. any any thoughts from you two about the stuff that um, stuff that's coming up for the Reds? We've got Brighton, then we've got Wolves. Um, predictions: Are we going to get through both of them games the way we want to? Jay first. Um, as I said earlier, I'd say a draw at Brighton if offered right now. Um, just given the situation that we're in and they look like a very dangerous team set up to sort of punish us. Um, regarding the Wolves game, I'd like to see us go through because realistically, that's probably our only chance of a genuine yeah. trophy this season. Um, you know, Real Madrid are probably licking their lips and probably want the tie playing next week um, given the situation that we're in, like with injuries and everything else. But, you know, we all know the Champions League is a hard one to win. It will be, you know, a massive gloss over what is a already looking like a very dark season, but I, I wouldn't be adverse to trying to go go far in the FA Cup and um, you know at least give us something to cheer about at the end of the season. The trip down to Wembley, as we've always said, is is never one to be missed. So I don't I don't like to predict that, but a draw and a win would be would be nice if we got two wins. I'd be over the moon, but then that doesn't you know hide from the fact of what actually is really going on. But we are where we are, and I suppose we just take what we can in these moments. Yeah, I think I think feel much the same myself. Although, Tony, if we we did try to put our best team out against Wolves at home, and we didn't win, so I mean, is it, it feels like we you know we can't we, we definitely can't guarantee we're going to be through to the next round of the cup, can we? Well, no, but I mean, you know, you, you, it, it's one of them. It wasn't a great performance. But again, like I say, if we, we we take our chances, and you know, and and we have VAR on our side, you know, it's a, we we've got a good chance. It's a, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I you know, so obviously I want them to to go through in the cup because I think I'd, I'd love the first opportunity and may to boo the national anthem in the in the new king's reign. Gosh, you know, yes. that that would be um, I think that would be a special moment for me. Yeah. Um, Drowning uh, out know, all think, the God save the Queen because people still forget what to sing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I am. I, I, um, you know, so the Brighton have always felt like a bogey team for me because of the early eighties when they beat us three times, God, twice yeah. at home in two seasons, yeah, <laughs> and um, and knocked us out of the uh, the cup in eighty four, the year we went on to to win three trophies. You know, that prevented us doing the clean sweep. So I've always yeah. got that niggle and fear of Brighton since then. But you know, it, it's it's one then we've got a very good record down at the Amex and. Um, you know, we 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 have got. I mean, sometimes we forget. Like, what we've got, Mo Salah. Mm. <laughs> you know, and like, and right, he hasn't been at his peak lately. You know, I was hoping I was the world break all rest of 
Brighton's and in flying form. But, you know, we still might see that. Is there a player in the Brighton team who's as good as, as, as Trent or Salah? You know, I mean, I, I would I would say no. You know, and they might have a better balance and a more overall strength at the moment. But we've got impact players who can, you know, so, yeah, I'd take a draw. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what you mean. In your column, um, we've mentioned it. What can people, without giving anything away, um, people have to read it. What, what, be, what are you talking about on this one this week? Uh, I'm, I'm talking about you know, um, uh, Kate. Uh, talk a, a little bit about. I mean, a lot of the subjects we've covered because of the yeah. obvious ones. Talk about um, what happens at, at, uh, at Hillsborough. Uh, we, I talk about Brighton and being a bulky team and why it is, and yeah. uh, you know, and um, and, and sort of uh, and, and that sort of stuff. You know, it's, I, you know, it's it, it all. I mean, we've, we've replicated a lot of it in the sense that. <laughs> Well, it's it's obvious. It's what interests like Liverpool fans at the moment. You know, it's what what interests us. So you, you can expect that. But you know, it's um, as usual. I slag a few people off, and you know, it's um, use some swear words and that <laughs> sort of thing. You know, so what are you going to do? Well, what you're going to do is you're going to read it, hopefully. And just, I'm going to, I'm going to finish off now just quickly with Mo Salah, what Klopp had said today. What a journey. His dreams have come true here, but it's not over yet. He looks sharp with his speed still after all these years and games. Most important, funnily enough, is he is always available. Him and us was a perfect match. So yeah, we've got Mo Salah and we've got Trent. And, you know, if we're all remembering that when we're playing as a team, just how good we are, if we can remember how good we are, we can win anything I think and we need to start by winning this weekend for now that's it from us thanks to Jay Reed, thanks to Tony Evans and thanks to you for listening I'm Jim Boardman and for now that's it from Scouser Tommy's but we will be back soon so see you soon we hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.